Shows that make you laugh. Shows that make you think. Music that moves you. It can only be one place. Universal Broadcasting Network. Tune in at ubnradio.com. Animal Magnetism. Exploring animal care for creatures great and small. Conservation and preservation in today's world. Find out what a single voice can do to make a difference in the lives of animals. Animal Magnetism with Carolyn Hennessy starts right now on UBN Radio. The roar of the breeze paint the smell of the crowd. Indeed. Not a single voice. Not a single voice. Tony, do you think you and I can... Rework that intro because it's I'm I'm I am a lo- I'm a sometimes I'm a lone voice, but I'm definitely not a single voice. We could there, do a duet. We can we do a duet? Yeah. Maybe a little song. I think we can. A, a, a musical intro. Let's do it. All right, <laughs> Carolyn Hennessy here, your host for Animal Magnetism. Thank you, listeners, for being me with me once again uh, for this episode. Um, and again, not a single voice because normally I am joined by my. Uh, producer and co-host Andrea Compton. Andrea is taking a little bit of a sabbatical, and we send her all of our love and uh, good wishes. But I am joined. <laughs> it's, it's exciting for me. I just love it. By the Alpha and the Omega, my personal animal advocacy mentor, the fabulous, the one, the only, Dr. Gray Stafford. <laughs> Thank you, my dear, dear friend, for being here, for getting up. Now, wait a minute. You're in Arizona. So right. is it, are we, are we behind or are we in the same time uh, right now? This, this time you're on the same time. We're on the same so, time. So, oh, well, thank you again for getting yeah. up well, even an hour earlier than you normally do. God bless you on a, on, a, on a Sunday morning. Tony Sweet at the board, the handsomest man in radio. Thank you so much. Welcome, listeners, again to Animal Magnetism. The show about preservation and conservation for creatures great and small from an advocacy standpoint, not a batshit crazy activist standpoint. That's what I say. <laughs> today, and it's true. Uh, today, we are joined by someone <clears throat> that I had the fortunate and unfortunate. You'll find out what that means. Um, reason to contact. And she sort of crept into my home and crept into my heart with the way she handled me and the situation at hand. And that situation being, I had to recently um, euthanize my 17 plus, I guess, 17 plus year old cat, Ella. And I was fortunate enough to find Dr. Shana Gross, who came into my home and eased my pain and Ella's pain. Welcome to Animal Magnetism, Dr. Shane. The loveliest soul who took away one of the loveliest souls. So I'm going to just read you a little bit about Dr. Shana, veterinarian and the founder of Comforting Creatures. Mark that down, kids. In everyone in Los Angeles, mark that down. Comforting Creatures, a Santa Monica-based veterinary practice that focuses exclusively on hospice care, at-home euthanasia, and pain management for pets. Dr. Shana was born and raised in Atlanta, Georgia. You don't have an accent. Oh, I can. All right, then. <laughs> and attended vet school at the University of Georgia. From the very beginning of her veterinary career, Dr. Shana exhibited her passion for community building through her service as the student president of the UGA College of Veterinary Medicine and through founding the Bulldog, with it spelled with a W, the Bulldog Leadership Experience. She was recognized for her contributions to the community and exceptional patient care by her alma mater in 2012 with the Veterinarian of the Year Award. After moving to Los Angeles in 2016, so recent, we have to show you around, she has continued to serve the veterinary and pet-owning community through the founding of her practice and through her services on the board of the Santa Monica Animal Shelter. Quite, quite, and you you look like a millennial, so God bless you for that. Technically might be. Technically might be a millennial. So nice to have you. That's lovely. So... Quite an auspicious start to what is a, what will be, I'm sure, an astounding career. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, One of the things that Andrea, my co-host, loves to always ask of every one of our guests is, what was the first moment, the first animal, 
that made you look at them and go, I want to dedicate my life to you. I want to de- dedicate my life to the sur- in service of non-humans. Well, do you, do you, do you recall that, that experience? Oh, um, I don't remember the exact moment, um, but it's dogs. <laughs> and before I could even talk, I was obsessed with dogs. My parents would tell me when I was a little kid, I would just point at dogs and uh, like I was just drawn to them. And when I could talk, I would point at them and, you know, (laughs) I think I would say like mine, mine, mine or that. Like I just wanted to be near them. And I don't know that they, my parents knew exactly what to do with that. But uh, <laughs> did they, did you have dogs? I hope they gave you one at um, least. <laughs> you know, I actually didn't get my first dog until I was in eighth grade. Really? Yeah. And I, I got a cat in first grade um, and it was a poor substitute for a dog. I, I, I think I told you about this cat when I met you and Ella because she my my cat, her name was Miss Jeff. Um, she was a little tuxedo. Yes, kitty. you did. Yes, you did. Um, and I loved her so much, but I also desperately wanted her to be a dog, and she wasn't. <laughs> and she was a very, very sweet cat. Did you try she, to walk her? <laughs> oh, yes. I actually ended up in the hospital once after trying to walk her on a leash. Um, yeah. It's not all her fault. It's not all my fault. But yes, I ended up in the hospital. Everyone, there's a little bit of blame to go around. Yes. There's just everyone I think needs to own up. Yes. I mean, someone also had to enable me with a leash that I could then walk. Okay, mom and dad. Okay, so there's really there's really a lot of... I, th- I hope there was some intervention in therapy that yeah. happened after that. <laughs> you have no idea. But tr- I mean, she is a big part of what I dedicate my practice to every day, both um, recognition of the great love that I have for cats and also, um, I would say, retribution. And now the fear and respect. (laughs) The fear and respect for cats. (laughs) I mean, she was a really great cat. I pushed her around in a baby carriage. She slept next to my bed in the baby. I mean, she really was great. So she basically said, okay, I know you think I'm a dog, but this, and and I'll do, I'll do, I'll I'll go so far, but this whole walking thing has got to stop. That's it. I draw the line. She drew the line there and and I respected that. Um, and it's still, I don't think dawned on my parents to actually get a dog until many years later. <laughs> I want to say that was in second grade and I didn't get a dog till eighth, but yeah. But you knew, I think Gray, Gray, what was your, what, how old were you when you said I'm, I'm dedicating my life? How, how old were you? Would, would you say? You know, I was, I was old by these standards. I was, uh, 24 when I went to SeaWorld and saw a killer whale, dolphin, and a human being uh, coexisting, cooperating with each other, you know, three top predators working together. And that moment changed my life and changed the course of my career. Yeah. So, But I was in my mid-20s. Yeah, but still, you're still, that, still but, a baby because, you know, we're still – because I don't think anybody knows even how to tie their shoes until they're 25. So, so – I didn't. I mean, really. I used Velcro straps. Really. So. So, so, you know, a baby. But – like me, I knew acting, that was it when I was four. So you knew, and from the time you were, there was never any deviation. There was. There was? Oh, yeah. Let's talk about that. Um, from the time I was nine until college, I wanted to be a lawyer. Ah. Yes. <laughs> ah. And it's a, it's, it's a very confused time in my life. But actually, um, I, and maybe this will inspire some younger people, but I didn't really believe that I had an aptitude for science. Um, And so I wanted to be a veterinarian, but I didn't think that I could be. Um, And I didn't enjoy science. And so I kind of got off on this different path. I, my strengths are really in um, literature and the arts and kind of these softer areas. Um, And I thought that I didn't even like science. And then I got to college, um, and I was an economics major. I was on my path to law school, 
and I just found that a lot of the courses weren't so challenging and I could kind of, I was a good writer, so I could kind of write anything and they would give me an A. And I got really tired of that. Um, and so I actually ended up enrolling in like biology and chemistry. To be challenged. Um, to be challenged. And I found that it was so interesting and I was way over my head and I really drowned in these courses for a little while. Um, just figuring out what everything meant because I, I had never memorized the periodic table. I mean, there were just all these little things that people do when they're really into science, and I had not done those. Um, and so there was a steep curve. And it, I ended up changing my major to biology, and I went back to my original passion of wanting to be a veterinarian because I realized, oh, my gosh, if I can take these classes and not only take them but love them, um, even though they're really hard for me and not my natural ability, um, then I could become a veterinarian. And so that's what I did, um, which is not the typical veterinarian story, I would say. <laughs> no, but but we are very glad that you did. Yes, it's the circuitous veterinarian story. <laughs> well, it's also it all it also bespeaks to a, a tremendous passion because if you have to work, if something comes easily, again, we 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 take it for granted. Yeah. And I don't think you take. Your 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 passion, your practice, comforting creatures. I, I don't think you take any of it for granted. I don't. I don't. I love it so much, and I really love that I have to work hard to be the best veterinarian that I can be. Um, and I think the comforting creatures practice actually has kind of gone back to my roots and enabled me to use some of my more natural abilities, too. Well, you certainly have a natural ability um, with people in terms of dealing with last moments. I'll I'll Thank just you. I'll just talk about my experience with you. And I was referred to you by some dear dear friends who I believe you also helped. Yeah. Um and I think I don't know if I called you about this Gray, but uh, Ella was I I had gone to Atlanta in February to do a film Atlanta, which by the way I love. Yes. Thank you very much. And I came back 10 pounds heavier. Um <laughs> And Ella, my cat of 17 plus years, because when I got here, I think she was already at least a year old, and I've had her for 17, 18 years. And she had spent the last eight years of her life outside. She refused to come in. She refused to let me get anywhere near her. And on the moments, and I think I talked with you, I talked about this with you, Gray, the very few times, because she didn't like, hey, my ex-husband. <laughs> Should have listened to Ella. Um, um, and my, she didn't like the dogs, and she didn't like Buster the cat. She said, I'm done with all of you. I am, I'm getting out of here. She just wanted me all to herself. And so outside, she would come every morning for food and water. And I put food and water out for her. But at the times when I, when I was able to get her she, and bring her in the house when it was either very hot or very cold and wet and rainy, she was clawing her way to get back out again until about six months, six months before she passed. And it was so brutally cold in an October. And I brought her in and I said, I don't care what you want. I don't care. Your 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 wants and needs are now going by the wayside, and she and she stayed. She stayed on my bed inside. She would come and she would eat, and the rest of the animals kind of they thought she was a mystery, but they left her alone. And so when I left for the month of February, I for a month I came back, and she was fine. She was she was she was an old she, but she had lost a, a marked amount of weight. And then about three weeks after I got home, she was, I realized she was skin and bones. She was not, she was in the corner <clears throat> of a room, just sort of huddled in the corner. And I thought, I, I knew that this was it. Wasn't eating. I would put her in front of the water bowl, pick her up in front of the water, and put her, and she would drink a little bit. But I realized that that was it. There was, and so I was referred to you, thank heavens, called you and you came over and it was it was very difficult for me but I had put Ella on the bed and you came over with blankets and you and you were just as soft and as tender with both of us as you could possibly be and I may I may tear up again but 
I, I knew. So what you did was you laid out three possibilities for me. And I was kind of astounded that you did. And the three possibilities were, okay, once you determined, because you, you picked Ella up by her, by her midsection and there was a great deal of meowing. And you detected, I think, there were lumps and there was, a, there was, some, type, there was some type of mass. And that's why she had was having either kid. It was either cancer or a, or kidney problem, yeah. and you were able to determine that right away. Yeah, physical exam is really powerful. Right. Yeah. And you gave me three options. You said, "Well, we can take her to a brick and mortar, and they could do biopsies and surgeries and pain medication and keep her overnight and hydrate her and blah blah blah." blah. Second option, we can give her pain meds, anti nausea medication, so that she can eat. Or the third option was we can we can euthanize her right now. And I was so astounded when seeing my cat in that condition, right, Gray, seeing an animal in that condition, that there that and I said, does anybody even take the first two options? People do. Um, people do. And I the the first part of my career Um, I worked in referral hospitals as an emergency veterinarian, and that has been a really valuable experience to help me kind of understand what truly all of our options are so that I can then relay those three options to you. You know, these are the three paths that we can go down. Um, And it's hard because I don't think that there's necessarily a right or a wrong um, but it's really about what is right for a specific pet and for a specific family. Um, and for a kitty like Ella, who, you know, her major drive is to be independent. You know, she liked to be outside and be the kitty who was, you know, exploring kind of on her own. Um, seeing her go down a path where she would be having testing and probably need to be hospitalized at different periods and, you know, schlep back and forth to the the brick-and-mortar hospital or, you know, even doing some of the hospice things that we can do at home, those things would be tough for her. And so for Ella, I don't think that those would have been the right paths for her at all. Um, For a a different cat or dog or different family, then that might have been a better option for them. Um, for for a cat in Ella's specific situation, well, let's say with a, a, a different temperament, yeah. but with the same physical ailments. Yeah. Okay, because I didn't see, I thought that any choice that I made that was other than, there, she was miserable, so putting yeah. her out of that misery. Yeah. I thought that any other choice I would make would be beyond selfish and would be solely for me. Gray, it, um, Venti. Yeah. Right? Right. Can you talk about Venti and your, and your experience? Yeah, and for, for your listeners, Venti was my little TV dog. Uh, this, this animal um, had met Jay Leno. He'd been to Ellen's show. I mean, he just, he was a world traveler, and uh, a lot of people here in the Arizona Valley knew him quite well. Um, he got sick about a year and a half ago, um, lost weight. We monitored it. Uh, eventually there was a mass on his spleen, but it was all encapsulated. So the veterinarian thought, um, that pretty confident that if we could get the spleen out, things would be pretty well. Um, and we did that. Uh, we had some emergencies. He had, he had lost a lot of blood and so we had to treat him overnight for some transfusions. And so we went through quite a bit of expense um, but you know, some of these pets are like our children. Right. And, uh, unfortunately after the surgery, he, he bounced back. He looked great for about three weeks or so. And then he, and then just crashed on us and it was tough. And he was home with us. Um, he passed at the house with us. And so that was, it was, it was nice to have that transition that maybe you didn't have Carolyn, but it, uh, what I like about your answer earlier, doctor, is you gave options because I think in some practices, people are, pressure to go to extreme lengths um, as opposed to making the right decision for the family and for that, that individual. And I think that's wonderful that you, you provide that, that, that spectrum of options for, for people and explain what, what it means for each option. Right. Uh, Because I do think there are sometimes uh, practitioners that 
that say, well, of course we're going to draw blood and of course we're going to, you know, go to extreme measures just to try to resolve these things. When we're talking about an 18 year old cat, right? I mean, that's at the end of its normal lifespan anyway. So I think it's comforting to have someone like yourself who can, who not judge and not, um, you know, uh, shy away from a simple answer like let's let's help transition this animal to the next step. Yeah, I I I appreciate you laying out those three options, but I it was like I for me I said, are you kidding? There's no way that I would put Ella through that. Right. There's no way I would put Ella through a brick and mortar veterinarian uh, a hospital or or even anti nausea. I, I simply did not yeah. wish to prolong anything for her. Well, and Carolyn, the difference in our situation was Venti wasn't even 10 years old yet and he was right. a small dog. So we had every expectation right. that he might live to be 13 exactly. or, 14 or 15 years old. Exactly. And, and our veterinarian is a, is a family uh, practice uh, vet, but he also works in the zoo with zoo species as well. So highly recommended. And, and I trusted that he wasn't trying to, you know, you know, he was being very straight with us at each step that that this could work, this, this is reasonable to do, this is not so reasonable to do. And, and that kind of communication is hard to have when it's your best friend that's dying in front of you. So right. exactly. you need the right people telling you the right things. I think that also highlights one of the really important roles of a veterinarian. And um, we, we think a lot about, okay, my, my pet is sick, I go to the veterinarian, they're going to fix it or they're going to tell me what to do. And um, I think just like in human medicine, we've seen a change in the way we relate to our doctors. Um, we have what's called collaborative medicine now um, versus, you know, the doctors, the omniscient. Um, God. Right? God. Exactly. Yes. Um, and so that because all of these situations, they seem so similar, but they're very different um, depending on so many different factors, the family, the, the pet, the personality of the pet, um, even things like religious beliefs or beliefs about um, illness and treatment, all of these things get factored in. And so one of the really important roles for the veterinarian is not any longer to make the decision for you, but to help guide you in what's a possibility. Um, and also, also, wouldn't you say laying out the possibilities, but what is really appropriate and, for the animal? And painting a, a realistic picture yes. is the other yes. part of that. Um, and so I, I think my friends who, who know me and especially who knew me when I worked on the ER, um, a lot of them, if, if we would kind of debrief after I had like a, a tough shift or something like that, um, they would look at me and say, you know, you're more of a therapist than (laughs) a medical doctor. And I would say, you know, a huge portion of my job is to be a support person. Huge. Um, And it's, it's really remarkable because you are dealing with such different situations all the time. And a lot of them, there isn't a clear right or wrong answer. And so it's really about giving people support and guidance and, you know, kind of getting and and sometimes we as veterinarians don't always know exactly what the right answer is either. Have you ever come across a situation where you knew exactly what the right answer was and you had to really sway either a family or an individual because it was in the best interest of the pet? Yeah, um, it it's fortunately it's been the exception that I've been on a very different page from the families that I've worked with, um, but there are situations I mean I there are people who don't believe in euthanasia um, and on the one hand that that can be okay um, you know some people really strongly desire a natural death for their pets um, some people though it's, are coming more from a place where they actually just don't want their pets to die right. and they're not facing that reality of their their pet is not in an okay place um, I can truly count on one hand the number of times I've encountered that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, so that I think is very lucky, um, but it does happen. And and that is very hard. I mean, those cases stay with you. They stay in your heart. Have, um, were you, did you, were you able to 
sort of chalk them down off the ledge? I mean, it, um, or in, were you, in were a we get cases, to see the light, so to speak? A couple cases, yes. Um, a, a, and really, um, there were one, maybe two cases where, um, and these were typically pets that had multiple specialists working together, so it wasn't just wow. me um, you know, providing guidance, but as the emergency vet, and often I was the overnight emergency doctor. And so those patients become my patients overnight. Um, and there were times where I had to communicate and, and maybe sometimes it was helpful that I was a different person, um, you know, a different veterinarian coming in and maybe echoing what had been told mm-hmm. to the family before, mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it was more they already had their defenses up and mm-hmm. weren't really interested in mm-hmm. hearing me. But um, it it does happen that people you won't have to hear you have you. to walk away and leave and yeah you do and, but and, very rarely very yeah, rarely and in those cases most of the time the the pets are really at the end at the end anyway yeah. and uh, fortunately or unfortunately they they pass. Um, well, I would say, fortunately, if there, if if, an, yeah. if, it's, if anything is in pain, especially anything that doesn't have a voice, yeah. and I mean, and it's it's not it's pain that you simply cannot fix. You can't yeah. do it. No, it's 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 the moral thing. I think that's just me to say, I'm I'm going to help you transition. Yeah. And I think we're kind of on the same page in that we see our pets as. <clears throat> Not not only members of our family, but um, beings that we take on guardianship for, and we're protectors for them. Absolutely. And, and we take that to be also we're protecting them from things like pain Absolutely. and discomfort yeah. um, and, and nausea and, and those types of things. And um, I think most people, when you paint the relationship in that light, they are reminded of who they really are and and that that is their role. Um, There's very, but there are people who have ties to animals that are, um, we have selfish relationships with our pets too. Yep. um, That are really hard. And I mean, I have many, many encounters with people who have pets, you know, maybe this was the last tie, um, to their parent. Maybe it was their mom's dog and their mom passed away um, or their husband's or a child's or, you know, many. And so they forget about the relationship that they have with their pets in this one way and they remember and they're thinking of their pet as a tie to this person they've lost. And so then it becomes very convoluted for them. And it's my job as a vet to help them sort it out. And, you know, Carolyn and Doctor, it's this is not unique to just pet ownership. Um, we see this in the zoo field as well. I mean, you've got professional keepers, aquarists, and so forth who, you know, they're paid to go in eight or nine or ten hours a day to care for all these needs of these animals under their charge. So it's not uncommon to see disagreements between the zoo vet and the zoo animal care staff as to the proper timing and did we take every measure possible. Um, these these are the same kinds of uh, questions, I guess, that we, we battle within the zoo community as right. well because, you know, you care for a giraffe for 18 years and they were fine last week and suddenly, you know, things have changed. Uh, it, these, are, these are challenging questions that even people who are professional, who are taught to keep their emotions at arm's length to some degree when it comes to these end-of-life issues because we have to be professional, right? Um, we, we still battle with some of these, these very questions. In, as opposed to being a brick-and-mortar veterinarian, someone that will treat animals that come in with, you know, kennel cough or, or, or you know, a broken leg, you chose this particular path. And is it because of the mindset that you have that we, we steward these animals, we care for these animals, and that includes, I mean, you've, you've taken it sort of to the, to the nth degree, to that final degree. What, yeah. what, what, what contributed to your choosing, founding Comforting Creatures? Um, so that's a, that's a great question, and I think that um, there are a few things, and we've kind of touched on them over our conversation. Um, Dr. Stafford just brought up 
really what I think is a beautiful highlight of the human-animal bond. Mm -hmm. It's not just human-dog, human-cat, but we can really bond to any of these animals that we care for. And that... That bond is so powerful. I don't know anything that, um, other than, you know, human love for other humans, um, that could even come close to that bond that we can have with an animal. Um, and so that, that motivates me in my career, that mm-hmm. human-animal bond. Um, and what brought me to the point of founding Comforting Creatures um, was... Uh, Multifold. Um, when I worked as an emergency veterinarian, there were many times where people would come into the ER and they would um, come in specifically for euthanasia um, for their cat or dog or sometimes exotic pet. And um, it was my job to give them the kindest and most comfortable um, end-of-life care that I could, um, but it was always in the hospital setting, and that was really tough. Um, as an emergency vet, you know, I might be in a room with a euthanasia, and I might have multiple animals that were needing um, immediate attention, and so um, it, it was tough to be there and be present with the owners um, from the veterinarian perspective, but also from the owner's perspective, getting into the car, coming into the hospital, having to walk out, even if they have more of a private exit after the euthanasia, having to be in that hospital setting, all of the, all of the little things just made it even the, harder. The steel table, yeah, put, let, put the dog out, and and with nothing that the dog knows around around yeah, it. Yeah, and I mean, we or cat. Yeah, we. I was very lucky to work in hospitals that were really forward thinking and had things like comfort rooms Mm -hmm. where it's a slightly different setting. Um, But it still doesn't take away the fact that you're in a hospital and people might be laughing in the lobby and you might hear that in the room and just little things like that um, that add up to that experience. Um, But also what became really prevalent to me was a lot of people were struggling with these decisions and they didn't have any guidance. And so that's where um, I am kind of on a crusade to change veterinary medicine um, in terms of how we think about end-of-life care, how we approach that, and that it should be a conversation and probably one that starts very early um, and is just not something that we're some vets do this really, really well and are already doing this, but many don't. Um, and it comes back to that question of what's right for each pet, what's right for each family, um, and calling things out that are hard to talk about. You know, we don't want to sit there and think about what's going to happen when it's time to put our pets down. But if we have those conversations early, we can actually um, approach end-of-life care in a much more thoughtful and and very meaningful way, and it can have a more positive outcome for our pets. Mm -hmm. I still still get calls from people who feel like they've waited too long or done other things, and a lot of times they've waited too long because they didn't have guidance. Right. So things like hospice care, um, you know, we're seeing this on the human um, medical side. Let's talk about your let's talk, yeah. because because comforting creatures, by the way, which and it is it is comforting creature comforting comforting creatures vet dot com. So make sure you add that s at the end. Comforting creatures vet one word dot com, and I'm and you have a lot of inf- and go there, and you have a lot of information about hospice hospice care. Yep. Pain management and at-home euthanasia. I cannot strongly enough recommend at-home euthanasia. Ella was uh, Sophie Tucker was my the poodle that really loved her the most. Was sort of standing watch over her until Doctor Shana arrived. With her. Yes, yeah. she she was, and Ella was kind of at that point just you know let me go. Um, I want to talk about hospice care, I, yeah. I, but I want to touch on the actual procedure of what you okay. do because it was fascinating to me. 
before we talk about hospice care, and this is what I experienced, and this is why. And somebody called, I guess dogs become senior dogs after the age of six. Is that true, Gray? Is that true? It totally depends on uh, the breed. It totally depends on the breed because yeah. Because <laughs> I, well, I I heard that some yes. breeds don't live past seven or eight, right? Yeah. Well, so then I guess Sophie is it could be poodles, right? Poodles are. She's a, a toy poodle. No, 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 no. Sophie's the medium sized dog, medium. the white one. Yeah, but she's a poodle mix, and I guess poodles do not live long. Or perhaps I am I am incorrect in that. Small poodles do. Someone, yeah. someone said that. Sophie was, Sophie was a senior, and I thought, well, I guess I do have to start thinking about the moment when I have to call you again. And I hope it is not for years and years and years. The procedure is fascinating to me. You, wa- you came in. You diagnosed Ella. You gave me the options. We chose an option. And then you uh, started a sort of a twilight sleep for her. You put her into this sort of... she. She was still awake. She wasn't alert, though, and her eyes weren't tracking. So you gave her an injection of something, which was the most painful part for her because she didn't, we, right? Yeah. We don't, we, we don't have a needleless way to give the pain medication right. that we give. Yeah. Right. And she would have stayed in that state for about a half an hour Yeah. had we not then moved on to the next stage. And we did. I was with her for about, I would say, about five, ten, five, about ten minutes just sort of talking to her. And I, she loved to crawl on my chest and bite my nose, so I put her on my chest, and she was, you know, she wasn't doing anything. But it was yeah. just very, very comforting for me. And then you said, I, well, let's, let's proceed, and you shaved a little bit of her leg. You yeah. put a, a shunt, a stint? A, a little cath- IV a, catheter. A, a little IV catheter. Yeah. And here's, here was the interesting part. This I did not know. And you said, I'm going to start, I'm going to start the injection now. And at that moment, I said, how long will I have after you start this injection to sort of be with her? How long will it, will it take for her to pass? And you said, by the time I push down the plunger. And that's when I went, and I, and I, that's when I went, What? No, I need a little more time with her. And by that time, I listened and her heart had stopped. It was, yeah. she, she was gone. And it was, and I went, whoa, it's that fast. It really it's is, that. Yeah. And she was, and she just went. And then I, and then I was able to hold her a little bit. And then you yeah. went out and brought these beautiful blankets in and, and, to, and, and took her away. But it's, it's, I, I want everyone to know it's, it's the pressing of the plunger. So your goodbyes have to be. When she's in that twilight sleep, when you know, or or before you arrive, because that it's it's instantaneous. It's fast. It's yeah. very very fast. It's surprisingly fast. Yeah. But it was but it was beautiful because she was she was in no more pain. It it is the most peaceful way that we can take a life, unfortunately. Or fortunately, yeah. Fortunately, it's the most peaceful way that we can take yes. a life. Yes, indeed. Hospice care. Let's talk about hospice care. And and do you do you have do you have facilities for that, or is it is it no, or do I, you provide it in home? In home, in home. And hospice is something that I think people have different feelings when they hear that word. Um, and so I'm, I think we're still trying to figure out the right language for that because I think for a lot of people, hospice paints a picture of a person or a pet going to a facility and maybe getting some pain meds and, you know, eventually passing away. Um, And so maybe something like comfort care would be a better term. Um, But hospice, palliative care, comfort care, um, they all essentially mean that um, you have either a terminal illness or you're near the end of your life and our focus is on making you as comfortable as possible um, for maybe not for as long as possible in the case of, of pets. But, right. um, you know, really just focusing on um, comfort. Are those daily visits that you provide sometimes? It's, it's or is it, varied. Is it, it varies. Yeah. Um, you know, I have people who approach me at different 
times. Different stages of an animal's exactly. illness. Yes. And so there are, um, there are pets who do need daily care. Mm-hmm. And some sometimes when we get near the end, it might be more than daily check-ins, you know, and I have clients, my clients that are in my, that are hospice clients, we speak, um, by phone. I go to their house. They also, you know, can text me. And so we, we kind of check in with each other pretty frequently, um, and use the really wonderful technology that we have Skype. now to, yep, yep, totally. Um, to, to keep tabs, Right. How not only how the pets are doing, but how the families are doing too, um, and but then there are other folks who realize that they have an elderly pet, or maybe they have a pet that was diagnosed with a terminal disease, and they just want to make sure that um, maybe even in concert with their family vet that they're doing everything that they can and thinking about little things that a vet who doesn't get to come into the home might not think about, like the dog that has arthritis. Um, the vet that they see in the clinic isn't going to be in their house and see that they have tile or wooden floors and maybe it's slippery and there are ways that we can help make that an easier situation. Little things like that can be really important. Um, and, and I consider part of hospice care. Um, so those, those folks might be like once a month. Oh, really? Yeah. Gray, is there anything like hospice care in the zoological world? Well, uh, certainly we have, you know, keepers and, and um, veterinarians and vet techs working together to mitigate um, a lot of illnesses and conditions that you see in an aging zoo population. One of the, one of the phenomena of having more successful husbandry programs and veterinary programs is we have old, we old have, animals. They, 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 they display, live longer. Yeah. yeah, they display a lot of geriatric type illnesses that can be mitigated um, in much the same way that, that may, you know, sure, the animal might have list, lost a step or two or is experiencing discomfort, but because of this team approach, you know, we can mitigate that for a long time and extend lifespans, quality lifespans for months or years in some cases. Um, so that's really been kind of a neat um, result, I think, of healthier zoo populations and, and learning the science of taking care of giraffe, for example. We don't see a geriatric giraffe in Africa. The lions take care of that, right? But in zoos, yes. you, can, you can have that. Um, so, so yeah, but it's a little different because of course, you know, these animals aren't living in our homes typically, although there are certain circumstances, I suppose, where you might, you know, have some overnight 24 hour care with some animals, um, in, in some rare cases. Uh, you know, if I may, I'd like to ask you a question, doctor, about, about you, um, because your career and your, your business is focused on perhaps beautiful, but certainly sad um, uh, experiences in, in most people's lives, right? And you, you're dealing with it constantly. You can't get away from it. You've got text, you've got cell phone, you've got voicemail, whatever. And uh, recently, a colleague of mine, a, a veterinarian who was in the behavioral sciences, she was a, a speaker on, on pet training and so forth, um, she took her own life. And she was a very well-known uh, uh, veterinarian. Her name was Sophie, Sophie, Sophie Yin. And um, it was that loss of her that made me realize that, that veterinarians suffer a high level of, of depression and, and suicide. And so my question for you is, do you, do you, well, one, how do you deal with that? And two, do you think that this approach of yours might in some way help members of your own profession deal with some of the, the loss that you're trying to take on and help people through each day brilliant question because you deal with death yeah you deal with death yeah and you chose to deal with death at a very young age it's a great question thanks for thinking that i'm really young Um, (laughs) no i (laughs) um, so are we (laughs) (laughs) so are we god bless it so i'm actually really glad that you brought that up i think it's a really important thing that most people don't know about veterinarians and sophia yen Um, was one of many veterinarians that we've lost over the past few years. Um, Most people don't realize veterinarians have one of the highest suicide rates of any profession. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah, most people do not know that, and the the rates of depression are uh, extremely high. This show educates me as much as it educates my audience. And it's important because I think most people 
see their veterinarian in one way, um, and they miss sometimes that we're we're people, um, and and we deal with really hard things. And we're also we tend to be a lot of us are very type A. We're very driven. We're extremely empathetic and compassionate. Um, types of people and you know thank goodness for that but it also leaves us really susceptible to um, feeling depressed and and down with some of the things that we we see at work Um, for me um, I personally I've definitely experienced what we would call compassion fatigue um, and that was something that um, was really hard for my career and I think um, many many veterinarians if not all veterinarians experience that at some point in their career Um, and that would be being so caring so much about so many animals you, you that get, that you you be, you simply become exhausted. You you are emotionally exhausted, and you don't have it to give anymore. So maybe I gave all of myself at work, and I get home, and I can't give the same compassion to myself or to my friends or my own pets. Or um, you know, I think it really manifests in different ways for different people. Um, but it really, you know. Probably a, another term that's not equivalent, but is similar, would be burnout. Um, and and so I think it's a particular type of burnout. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe other people can relate to that yeah. <laughs> um, in in that sense. Um, for me, when I I had a, a point in my career, I, I had a lot of people when I was earlier in my career that said, "You can't." have all these feelings you can't take on all of this emotion Um, if you do you're going to get burnt out and so I really protected myself from a lot of that and I think it actually contributed to my Mm -hmm. burnout oh interesting you you tried to shield and 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 well you can't because it'll it'll come when if you try to fight against the tsunami you will be caught up in the tsunami right and and so I think that when I opened myself to Really accepting, you know, I am so attached to this patient and the loss of this patient is devastating for me and I need to cry and maybe I'm going to cry in front of the nurses or in front of the or with the family or in front of the family or, you know, maybe it'll be in my car on the way home. Um, I, I think that that actually was on some ways rejuvenating. I for think me. it's I think it's a brilliant brilliant perspective. It's 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 a necessary perspective. Yeah. And, but I think that most people don't realize how much we we as veterinarians care about your pets. Um, you know, I definitely cried over Ella. I I just really was touched by the relationship that you guys had and she reminded me also of my cat and you know but it's it was really um, important for me to reconnect to those things um, and to let my let my colleagues and let my family and my close friends know that you know, this is who I am. I am this person who cares a lot, and sometimes I cry, or a lot of times I, I cry about my patients, and you know that I I have these emotions, and that that's really liberating. Um, I really hope that if there are veterinarians that listen to this, that they also um, get to the point where they can be maybe they'll be inspired to be more open with themselves, with their friends, with their staff. Um, and clients about the feelings that they're having um, because it's it's really okay. I, I don't think I've ever had a client get mad at me because I was crying in front of them about their pet. Um, but I think that fear is somehow there for us. Well, those yeah. those feelings, we're going to have them. It's as simple as that. And if we don't take the we don't take the healthy course of action in terms of letting them out in very constructive ways for you. They will come out. Yes. They will come out in other ways that are, that are, that, that can be destructive, which is, I'm going to guess why this, this other vet took her life. It's, it's, she didn't acknowledge the fact that she's, she's allowed to have feelings. 
allowed to have them. I, I, I think there's I think there's a there's a probably an unspoken pressure there because you know if you're in a, a clinic at a, at a zoo and the decision is made to put down your your favorite lioness, let's just say, not that this has ever happened, um, and the one person that everyone looks to in that room is either the animal curator and or the veterinarian making the decision. And so the keepers who have raised that cub since she was born, um, you know, they, it's appropriate in some ways for them to, to shed a tear. Now, some of them won't want to do it professionally, you know, in, in public. Um, but I think of anyone in that room, the, the person who's expected to hold it together is the veterinarian. Um, and I don't think that's policy that's not written anywhere, but I think that's just kind of the professional expectation. And, and yet, um, I don't think that they're given that opportunity to, to shed a tear or, or to, you know, have a, a moment or two. Um, it's, a, it's a difficult balance, I would have to say, and I'm sure you can relate to this, doctor, because you can't just give in to the emotion. You won't be able to function and do your job. And at the same time, you don't want to become that person who is not impacted by the loss of each and every animal. Um, for me personally, I know that when, when I no longer have a, a twinge or any kind of feeling about putting an animal down, um, it's time for me to go. I'm done. That, that I'm no longer going to be effective in my career. So it is a balancing act and one that it sounds like you have found a, a, a happy medium, if you will. Well, I think, and the other part of this that I didn't touch on is not only respecting my own emotions um, and celebrating that in some way, um, the other part of it is this, you know, we when we talked about, like, why did I become a veterinarian? And I talked about the human-animal bond. When I come in as the veterinarian that's there to euthanize your pet, there is a really sacred trust that's established almost immediately. And so you have, I have the opportunity to experience really intense human relationships. Um, and I don't use intense in a negative sense at all. Um, I, I maybe instead of intense, maybe a, a deep human relationship. I think intense is a perfect word. Um, intense and deep human relationship. Absolutely. Um, and I get to hear the stories, um, like for you, Carolyn, how much you loved Ella and how important she's been, she was in your life and um, the, the role that animals have played for you. Um, sorry, I'm using you as an example here. I think you should. But, Why not? Um, I'm here. <laughs> I mean, it it is... So I get reminded every day that I work why I am here, why I am a veterinarian, and how incredibly sacred that human-animal bond is. Um, and so for me, that's also been really rejuvenating in my career um, to remember why, I, why I'm a veterinarian and why you know, if I'm going to go and have a difficult conversation with someone about hospice or end-of-life care, um, why it's so important to have those conversations and to do them in a loving, to have them in a loving way. And um, so that, that really keeps me coming back every day. And um, it's amazing because I, I feel like I, now that I deal with death so frequently, even more frequently than I did as an emergency veterinarian, um, I have this rejuvenation for my career, which I think is so counterintuitive it's, to what most people well, expect. Well, it's a, it's a, it's a bit of a conundrum. Yeah. It, you're, you, you love what you do and you deal in death. Yes. And it's a it's a very interesting juxtaposition, but I yeah. cannot imagine anyone more qualified and more suited because of your temperament, Thank you. because of simply the way you care and allow yourself to care and understand how important that is. Thank you. Karen. That's what will keep you going for years and years and years. And oddly enough, uh, uh, it's an odd saying, but loving what you do. Yes. Yes. Waking up every day and feeling. Not only passionate for what I do, but grateful that I get to do it and knowing that I'm doing the right thing. That is. Gray can tell you that I have called him on a couple of occasions 
not just crying, but keening, keening, literally, (laughs) think about it, bent over, keening, because I am comparatively new. Like what's the way we're going on? Eleven years, Gray. Yeah, you've you've earned your stripes. You're, you're, you're. uh, I guess I'm a vet. You're an old timer. I'm an old timer now, but when I wasn't, another vet. When I, yeah, I'm I'm a a different kind of vet. at, at 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 human cruelty to animals and death and thinking I can't go on doing this seeing seeing what I see having people send me those videos because I can imagine that much of what veterinarians you know knee jerk to or have that have that truly visceral reaction to is the human cruelty to the animals Absolutely. that are brought into them. Not necessarily by the people who bring them in, but who, who find them yeah. or who rescue them, yeah. who, who save them from the car. That that is the thing. Because then you look up and you, and you see the, the two-legged people, you know, two-legged walking around knowing that there's that amount of cruelty out there toward, toward, toward things that are innocent and have no voice. That's what gets me. And so you have found your way to circumvent that. I have found, Gray has found his way to circumvent what is the biggest problem. Encroaching populations, poaching. Dog fighting, bullfighting throwing cats in sacks and in the river. I mean, just you name it. You name it, and it's out there. So, but finding the, con- the, the constructive way to deal with it. You know, this show is a constructive way to deal with the fact that I've called Gray over seeing, seeing a leopard burned alive in an Indian village for long minutes. I don't think you've ever seen that video, Tony, nor, nor do you have to. I've taken the burden on for everybody. I am I'm, I'm like Christ in that way. Don't see it. I will tell you about it. We'll quote you on that one. Yes, I am like, I am like Christ. John, me and John Lennon, bigger than Jesus. No, but it's just like once you see it, you say, you, I've seen it and I can tell you about it and you don't ever have to see it. But it's the constructive way to deal with the intense cruelty out there. That's what, that's what veterinarian care is all about. In, and, and also natural aging. Natural, you know, nat- natural, natural accidents that happen, accidents that would happen with your pet. The show is all about Gray's work in, in, in the zoological field, saving, preserving, conserving. You know, that's, it's, you have to find the constructive ways to channel what you see out there. You, again, you, three, three ways to handle any problem. Stick your head in the sand, cry and wail. Or do something, or do, or, t- or take that that desperation, passion, rage, and and channel it into a con- in, into something constructive, and that's exactly what you've done. And you can still cry. And you can still <laughs> cry. And you can still rage once in a while. And you can still rage. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Again, I'm going to give this again because you do not have a Twitter handle. What? I don't, I okay, don't. let's talk about that. And you don't have a Facebook page. I don't. Right. Okay, official website, comfortingcreaturesvet.com. I cannot recommend you strongly enough to anyone who has, who has a pet that is going through anything that has been described here, needing end-of-life care, hospice care, pain management, or at-home transitioning. You're the one. You're the one. I cannot recommend you strongly enough. Thank you, Karen. Um, just before we go, I want to talk about the Bulldog Leadership Program. Yeah. Let's talk about that. I love that. Okay. okay. <laughs> all right. We're going to end on a happy note. It's, all, it's, it's, been, it's been one of the best shows ever, I think, that, that we've had because there's so much incredible information. But let's talk about the Bulldog Leadership Program. When did you, you – you came from Atlanta to Los Angeles. Sort of. I, it was a circuitous route. Okay, because, yep. because I think there, there ain't no Georgia accent there. There's just nothing. There's nothing. There, there, there can be, but... Um. I want to hear it. I want to hear it coming out. Because you are, it's, it's like you, there's this, like, it's standard American speech that I'm hearing. It's like, what, what royal, did you go to drama school? No. I didn't. I didn't. Um, so 
I, I guess, route I went through, I guess, from Athens, Georgia, back to Atlanta. I love Athens. Back to Athens. Oh, it's a great place. It really is. Um, Up to Massachusetts and then to Ohio and then to L.A. So very circuitous um, to get here. But the Bulldog Leadership Experience was something that um, I started when I was a student at UGA in the College of Veterinary Medicine, and it was modeled after the Veterinary Leadership Experience, or the VLE, Um, and that is basically, um, it was presented to me as a leadership training program, which I had no idea what that meant. Um, but essentially an experiential um, week-long intensive workshop where we learned about communication skills, interpersonal relations, self-awareness, all of these really important um, soft skills that essentially add up to emotional intelligence. Um, If you've heard that term, EQ is kind of the trendy way to say that. Instead of your IQ, you can have your EQ. Um, I I argue you need both. Um, (laughs) I think we're all very high here. Yeah. I think we all score in that genius level here. (laughs) Yes. And so the, the really wonderful thing about the VLE was that I was selected to go there. I, I applied for this program. I was selected. Um, but the really tough thing was that only two veterinary students from each school and a faculty member get to go every year. Ah. So it's a very exclusive thing you changed that, that not everyone has access to. But the skills are so incredibly important. And we um, – our faculty – prior to me being there, had done a really great job of bringing some of those elements and incorporating them into our um, vet school orientation. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was so much more that we needed. And so I decided that I was going to make this program happen at our school for our students, for any of the faculty, for any of the staff that wanted to come. And I went out and I fundraised and I rang a lot of <laughs> phones and bothered a lot of people and um, got, you know, permission and funding and everything that we needed to make that happen. And so, and so you brought instructors there for a week. Yeah. 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 And I mean, it, we were really, really well supported um, by folks from industry, from different pharmaceutical and food companies that actually have gone through a lot of that training and um, helped to lead things at the VLE. They, they've, from their company is sponsored, flew in people, gave them time off of work, and gave them to us for, um, I, I think it was like two and a half days. Um, and so any of the students, any of the faculty could start. And it was such an effort um, to make this happen. It was expensive and all these other things. And so I was like, I don't think this is ever going to happen again. But actually, the students um, that were there, I guess, found it so impactful that they took it on themselves to plan it the next year, which was probably the best gift that I could ever have. Like, I I went into the clinic, so I couldn't do it. And they wanted to have it again, so they made a thing. And now it's a thing every year. It's ongoing. Look what you did. Yeah. So I think, for me, that's one of the most exciting things that I did in vet school. Probably not the most exciting, but definitely one of the most exciting What a remarkable, a, mar- a remarkable achievement for a remarkable human being. Well, I, 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 I've said it, so it's true. Thank you. So there you go. Just acknowledge <laughs> it. Jesus. That's right. I am Jesus. <laughs> so, and now for the sacrilegious portion of and our now, show. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Woo! Um, thank you so much. We're going to close out. Thank you so much for being on my show, I, I know I will. I know I will avail myself of your services again, and that will be a wonderful and tragic thing. Um, but hopefully, it will not be for a long, exactly. long yes. time. And I would love it if you would come back on the show and give us further updates as to what you're doing, and how you're doing it, and how you're coping. Because I have a feeling it will be extraordinarily well. Gray, last thoughts? Anything? No, I just think it's wonderful that that we're telling the veterinary staff that it's okay to be human. It's okay. That's that's a brilliant way to close. It's okay to be human. It's necessary to be human. You got to be. You got no choice. Otherwise, it'll come up and bite you in the ass. 
Thank you, Grace Stafford, for being on my show again, uh, co-hosting. God bless. We will probably see you again in two weeks. We okay. love you madly, okay. and, uh, and we, we will talk you to you in between then. Dr. Shana Gross, thank you so much for what you do. ComfortingCreaturesVet.com. We're going to talk about a Twitter presence, and we're going to talk about a Facebook handle. Okay. Because people <laughs> do need to reach you. They absolutely have to be able to reach you. And I get it. Believe me, these are, these are like wartime tools that you have to pick up. But it's, it's the wave of the future now. Yes. So we'll talk about Dr- that. Drag me into Are the you, future, I'm going to have to drag you because <laughs> people have had to drag me. Thank you so much for being on the show. What Thank incredible, you. important work you do with such an incredibly lovely spirit and soul. Thank you so much. Tony Sweet, the handsomest man in radio. Thank you for running the board again. Don't you just, don't you love this show? I mean, really, isn't it? I mean, it's one of your favorite, isn't it? Yes, it is. It's, it, it, because it is. of you and then also. Because, but but, but what you have learned, oh, right, learned over the last two years, I think it's been. Or has it been three? I think it's been I three. Think it's and I look exactly the same. Um, <laughs> listeners, you heard some amazing information today. ComfortingCreaturesVet.com. If you have an animal, pet, dog, cat, exotic, call Dr. Shana Gross. Contact her at ComfortingCreaturesVet.com. Don't delay. Don't be selfish. Think of your animal first. Think of your family member first. It's as simple as that. All right? Okay. Thank you for being with me in this episode of Animal Magnetism. We will see you again in two weeks. And always remember, in everything you do, attempt to cultivate the preservationist heart. It will take you a long, long way in your life. We'll see you again in two weeks. Bye-bye. Something tells me it's all happening at the zoo. I do believe it. I do believe it's true. Giraffes are insincere And the elephants are kindly But they're dumb Orangutans are skeptical Of changes in their cages And the zookeeper is very fond of rum Zebras are reactionaries And telnotes are missionaries Pigeons laughed in secret a leopard.